We're in a teaching series in the book of James. James, Jesus' brother, head of the church in Jerusalem. Stephen has been crucified, or killed rather, sorry. Uh, The whole persecution of the church goes right up. And so lots of people that were previously worshipping in Jerusalem are scattered throughout the Roman Empire. And James is writing to these uh, congregations or small groups of people saying, hey, persevere in the faith, stand firm in the faith. Like trials are always going to happen, and here's how a follower of Christ, you can respond wisely and authentically to them. We call this teaching series Faith Works twofold. Uh, One, James is very much about saying, don't just talk the talk. He's saying, walk the walk. So let your faith be real. And it's also called Faith That Works because this letter sent to the persecuted church, we now know with hindsight that persecution was one of the very best gifts. God redeemed it for the church. And it really worked to spread Christianity, to strengthen people's faith. And on a much smaller scale, When persecution comes our way and we experience suffering in our own lives, God really redeems it, really strengthens our faith. I'm just going to ask for the lights to be dropped now. I'm going to attempt to show a video from YouTube. I hope it doesn't have the adverts at the beginning of it uh, that it kept having when I showed on YouTube. If you're listening, oh, phew, it doesn't. If you're listening online, uh, Google Pepsi Max Jeff Gordon. This is my favorite advert. Before we play... I want you to imagine being the guy who the prank is being played upon. So Jeff Gordon, a top NASCAR driver, pretending to be some kind of middle-aged man just looking for a minivan, and takes this guy on the ride of his life. Put yourself in the guy's shoes. You'll see that as it starts going a bit off, you see there's like a nervous laugh. And it starts to get worse and worse and worse. The nervous laugh kind of turns to abject terror. And you can see the look on his face that, I have a sick sense of humor, but that's one of my funniest bits of this clip is the look of terror on his face. Why am I a pastor? And the third bit is that it kind of goes from nervousness to absolute terror to real fury. Now, if he knew that it was Jeff Gordon, there wouldn't be any of that experience, but he doesn't. So just enjoy this clip for the next couple of minutes. That, that gets better and better every time you watch it. So sometimes in life, you're just going about your regular business, and then you suddenly find yourself in a situation, and you're thinking, whoa, I I did not sign up for this. Like, what is going on? You feel a bit nervous, and then as the persecution or intensity and pressure increases, you start getting really scared. And then at some point, you just let rip, and you need your phrases bleeped out, exactly like that guy has done. The Christian faith (laughs) is a lot like Pepsi Max. No, Uh, the Christian faith is similar. When I first became a Christian, I was healed of addictions. I was aware of God's love, and I was not expecting suffering to be such a close companion. So when suffering comes into the life of a Christian, we sometimes think, well, I I didn't really sign up for this. To start with, we're kind of nervous, kind of joking about it. As the suffering continues, as the temperature's raised, you start getting really scared, thinking, is this going to end? And the pressure ramps up even more. We get absolutely furious. We'll blame anyone else. We'll curse anyone else out. It causes great division. Great division between us and our perception of God, and great division between us in a church. 
See how I linked that? That was good. <laughs> I just wanted to show the video. Uh, so in the teaching series of James, James is a letter with lots of wisdom. And you can read different sections just by themselves. We have this week and next week. So what I've done, in reading the book of James, he writes in a very, very direct style. He's not messing with his words because this is the persecuted church. This is a matter of life and death. But I'm aware as I've been teaching through this series, it's felt like going 10 rounds with Mike Tyson in his prime. And so I'm trying to choose the last couple of sections that are less like a sucker punch. Now, James uh, teaches his pastoral concern that he's writing to the church. And I had a choice of uh, doing uh, submit yourselves to God. Oh, sorry, I had a choice of doing boasting about tomorrow um, or warning to rich oppressors. But I landed on, instead, patience and suffering. So James speaks to the whole body of believers in this letter. From time to time, he'll speak specifically to a certain group of people. And it's like, hey, you know who you are. I'm not going to shame you in front of everyone, but James is saying, hey, you know who you are. And as they're being called out, that's God's grace. God's inviting them to experience so much more. He's inviting them uh, to get rid of their religion, like a Pharisee, but to pursue that relationship with God. Or he's inviting them to actually enter into a relationship with God for the first time. Now, patience in suffering follows warning to rich oppressors. So he says... Some people in this community of believers, not this one here, uh, in the scattered church, there'll be some people within you that have just really enriched themselves. They've come to church and thought, how can I use, or come to the Christian communities, how can I use the people for my own ends? How can I get my way? How can I get a whole load of power for myself? And James has said, warning to you, like, God knows exactly who you are. And he wants people to repent. This section now, verse, chapter 5, verses 7 to 12, is to the people being persecuted. She said, watch out to you who are doing the persecuting, the, the rich oppressors. And then he's saying, and here, for those of you who are being persecuted. I'll read this now. It's uh, James 5, uh, verse 7 to, through to 12. Before I read, I will pray. So let's bow our heads. Father God, thank you that you do not leave us by ourselves to figure out the Christian life. Thank you that on this journey we have you leading us every step of the way. We have spiritual forefathers, Lord, uh, like James, and the, the, who the gospel was handed down through the generations. And Lord, thank you that we're here together in Wheaton as well. Help us to understand your word as you have written it through James. In Jesus' name, amen. As I am reading this, uh, listen out for the words, uh, brothers and sisters, and you'll see that James is writing very tender-heartedly to people who he considers brothers and sisters, like in the family of God. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too. Be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, an example of patience in the face of suffering. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance 
and seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, nor by heaven, nor by earth, or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. The first chunk of this message, when I teach expositorily, sometimes that means you go line by line, other times it means you give, you represent the author's intention. So this is what the um, teaching from the intention that James had to the persecuted church, and by extension to us here. You can put this in two sections. The first one, be patient and stand firm. Be patient and stand firm. As we talk through this book, the, the start in James chapter 1 speaks a lot about perseverance and suffering. It says the suffering is always going to happen when you're a Christian. And James uh, gives some encouragement in the midst of suffering. I'll read these to you, uh, verses 2 to 4, just to refresh our memory. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let's perseverance finish its work so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Then he continues, verse 12, chapter 1. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. In the teaching on the first week when we went through that, I gave the example of a silversmith, liking it to what's happening when suffering comes for the Christian. We're not always sure of the origin of suffering. Sometimes it's a bad choice by ourselves. James says, don't blame God for that. But other times it's the fact that we live in a fallen world full of evil where people pursue their heart's desires. And so the example of a silversmith is, the silversmith will heat some silver to an extremely high temperature in a, a bowl that can withstand a very high temperature. See how much research I did. Uh, he'll heat it really, really high. And what happens is the impurities over time as the liquid, uh, silver becomes liquid, they'll come to the surface, almost like a scum. And the silversmith will wipe that scum off. And it's partly purified the silver. And he'll keep doing it and doing it and doing it, removing all of the imperfections. And he'll know when the silver is purified because he'll be able to see his face in the silver. So when persecutions come to us in a church, that means that God is using it for good. He's purifying us. Now my job as a pastor, and God's job, is not to say to you, ah, you're scum, when stuff starts bubbling up. No, that's the devil's job, and he's going to be heated beyond what we ever were, thankfully, in the fullness of time. But we are defined by the fact that the silversmith loves us, And he can see a pure silver in us, even when we cannot. And he is committed to transforming our character. The Bible sometimes calls this, it's called sanctification. You're made fully righteous in Christ when you accept him as your Lord and Savior. But over time, it's kind of like this purification process. You are transformed. People will see that your characteristics are a lot more like Christ's characteristics. So James is carrying on. Uh, typically in a book of the Bible, it will start with a, an example at the front. We call this a, a bookend. And the example at the back is another bookend. And it's where the author will really emphasize a key point by repeating it twice. And being patient and standing firm in suffering is one of these key points. So he mentioned it right at the beginning, chapter 1. He's mentioning it again here, chapter 
5. She says, be patient and stand firm. Gives us a couple of examples. He says, like farmers, so this is verse 7. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. Verse 8, you too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. A quick thing, in Palestine the seasons were very, very different. So it would make sense to those who are hearing this within the Roman Empire. But the farmer cannot make the weather change just what's needed for that harvest to happen. And as Christians, we can't make Christ coming any sooner. But what farmers do, they can prepare and be ready. There's stuff that they can do within their current situation. And they can do stuff. And, and James is using an example saying, look, you can't make Christ come back any sooner. But you can be preparing yourself. You can be readying yourself. And one of the ways we do, we do this would be to stand firm and be patient. And that means trust in God. If you're a farmer, you really have to trust in God. If you're in sales or any other industry, you can sometimes think, how good is my product and how hard am I going to work? What competencies am I going to bring? Certainly farmers have a whole load of competencies as well. But there's this random element or seemingly random element of the weather which they have no control over at all. The other example he gives is like prophets. He says, uh, verse 10, Brothers and sisters, an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Verse 11, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen that the Lord finally brought about what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. In essence, prophets are God's people. They are in the world, but not of the world. They are calling people back into a love relationship with God. Sometimes they do it figuratively, sometimes they do it verbally, sometimes very, very harshly and strikingly. They call people back into a relationship with God. So James uses examples to say, hey, the prophets were in the world but not of the world. Now we know how it ended up with Job. It ended very, very well. He's saying, don't, don't think you're different. It means that you are one of, James is saying, it means you're one of God's children if you're undergoing persecution in the world on account of who Jesus is. And the warning against rich oppressors just before this is saying, do not kind of uh, uh, oppress God's people. And this is saying, you're one of God's peoples, you're going to be oppressed. But no, some really good characters have come before you. And God makes it all worthwhile. Why is it worthwhile? It says here just a, a glimpse. We've seen what the Lord brought about. We know from chapter 1 that it says that God brings the crown of life for those who have suffered under persecution and perseverance. That means, however this life ends, if your life is in Christ, if your faith and hope is in Christ, that it ends in a heavenly manner. It ends in an eternal relationship with God where you are purified silver, God can perfectly see his full likeness in each one of us. There is no more pressure. There's no more discomfort. It is finished when we meet Christ face to face. The other reason why it's worthwhile to persevere is based on the Lord's character. So at the end of verse 11, 
Uh, it says, you have heard of Job's perseverance, have seen what the Lord finally brought about. And we know Job's story, she's referencing that, and he says here, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. So if we be patient and stand firm, because we're in the world but not of the world, we're with Christ and so people are going to persecute us, on the very basis that we're with Christ, he's saying you will find out that God is full of compassion, and you'll find out that God is full of mercy. A couple of years ago, I admitted myself to hospital. I'm not sure people know my story or not. A very bad case of depression and PTSD. I thought at that moment when I was admitting myself to hospital, like the world as I knew it was over. I was working in a church where I had a visa, and if I stopped working at that church, my family were going to go back to England. And we've been here a very long time, and we call this place home. And I have really doubt in God's goodness. But there was a sense of, I, I know what is wrong with me, and I need to admit myself to hospital. And over the course of that refining process, I now know where God was. At the time, I had no idea where he was or what he was doing. It seemed like someone was driving the car of my life in a highly reckless manner. And I was pretty angry with the driver. But as it's moved on, I can say with full integrity and conviction that I know that God is full of compassion and mercy. As you go through the blackness of your heart, as you go through the darkness of a season of life, what breaks through is God's light. What breaks through is our identity in Christ. And that identity is beloved. It's not just sinner. It's not just saint, it's not just child of God, it's a beloved child of God. And I can speak here today telling you God is full of compassion and mercy. And that compassion and mercy was represented by different people in my life. I felt far from God, but they represented him for me. So the second part is the, the application. So how do we be patient and stand firm? A whole lot of my applications so far in this text have been pretty individual. That wasn't actually intentional. We live in a culture that's very individualistic. Uh, James did not mean for the applications to be individual, unless specifically you're one of the people he was calling out. Throughout this letter, he speaks to the whole church. It's not just y'all, it's all y'all. See how relevant that was. Um, <laughs> And he calls people brothers and sisters. Just in these very few verses alone, brothers and sisters three times. He starts James in brothers and sisters. Throughout it says brothers and sisters. So the answer is within every page of text, between every line. And it's together. Be patient and stand firm together. So you're not meant to be walking this life alone. At times you may feel alone. You may be wondering where God is, but that's not his desire. James is saying, just he's challenging the church. He's saying, stay together, be one. Don't let these things divide you that so often can. Don't let the devil have his way with you. Release these things. Trust in God and stay together. Because although the environments may change, although your health may change, God does not change. And the plan of salvation which he put into effect before even he created the world to fully reveal the full extent of his love 
as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and invite us into that union with him through Jesus. He's going to see that through. Satan's very best of putting Christ on the cross. With a blink of an eye, God turned that to the greatest moment in human history. Jerry redeemed that to the very core, the worst of the worst. God kind of, is that the best you can do? And he knows it was. And he goes, ta-da! And he raises Jesus from the dead. And the same with us. The moments when we feel dead and buried, whatever life is giving us, God can speak into us and resurrect us. Put us back together, piece by piece. So it's about living life together, doing things together. One of the applications as well throughout this has been drawing into the presence of God. Saying, stay together. That's one of the ways that you draw near the presence of God. The other one is specifically pursue God. So James 4, uh, verse 8, the beginning he says, uh, submit, uh, verse 7, he says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. One of the best ways to resist the devil here, verse 8, chapter 4, come near to God and he will come near to you. Now as a church, we have some core ministry values. One of them is encountering God. Second one is relational discipleship. The third one is life on mission. But we believe that God is to be encountered daily. He can be encountered daily. I heard some teaching this week that described uh, the fullness of God as Holy Spirit. It's like moving from one cell phone reception, or none if you're in this building, uh, and then moving to full reception. God invites us to full reception with him, and that's when we're most transformed. And do you know when you're near the face of God? Do you know when you're near his presence? One, we're always drawn in to worship. Always. When you're in God's presence, as in heaven, you're always drawn in to worship. The second one is, see that mask on the wall? I did not put that up as a prop, but it's a handy one. We drop our masks. The closer we are to God, the smaller the gap there is between who we present ourselves to be and who we actually are. Because when we really understand the love of God, we don't need to put religion on. We don't need to be pretend to be better than everyone else. We all know that we are here because of grace. We cannot judge anyone else because they are there because of grace. And if we think we're further along than someone else in the process of sanctification, we can say, thank you God for your grace, because without your grace, I would be further back. And then as we're struggling in life, we can say, thank you, God, for your grace, because there is enough there to see me through right to the very end. Now, as we do this together, as we're patient and stand firm together, it's going to be two applications. There's some of us that feel really close to God. So I'm going to put my hands together like in a prayer manner, but a slight gap. Uh, the right hand represents God, the left hand, uh, me for example, or a person, a, a sinner who's been saved and has finally discovered his beloved. In front of God, at certain times, God never changes, but circumstances, you see the distance growing, may move us further away. When I was experiencing that myself, there were times I couldn't really pray to God. I knew he was real, but I doubted he was good. 
and people just prayed me into the presence of God. I wasn't even running at him. I was just doing nothing other than staying where I was. And people prayed me closer to God. So if you feel near to God, yes, you can worship. Yes, it's delightful to worship. But part of our call as a community and as followers of Christ is to draw others close to God. To check in, see how people are doing. Be in a life group, be in a discipleship relationship, whatever it may be. We're to make, we're to be that difference. And for those of us who are far away, I give you one responsibility, one thing to take ownership of. Ask for help. Ask for help. When I was in the midst of suffering, uh, what I found out was I'd been viewing everything with a very distorted view, very distorted view of myself, very distorted view of God, very distorted view of everyone around me. If I saw 5% evidence that someone didn't care, I thought, that's 100% evidence. They probably even weren't aware of it. And then I'm thinking, why, they, I'm suffering, why would they do that? They clearly don't care for me. I'm no good for anyone. That is not the reality of the situation. If they knew how I was doing, they would have surely helped. And when people did, they did help. So as if we're in a period of suffering, in a period of hardship, a period of difficulty, please, human beings, we're not good at mind reading. We may say something that in the ordinary course of life would mean nothing to someone else, but you may take as really, really hurtful and painful, and it means that people do not value me. Just ask for help. One of the ways you can do this, if you're in a really big funk, you can ask yourself three questions. What am I thinking? Question number one. This isn't from a text, this is just current wisdom. <laughs> uh, what am I thinking? Question number two. What do I want? Question number three. What do I need? So if we're in the midst of the darkness, if we think we're in the blackness of our heart, or if we think we're in this, this big tunnel of darkness, I promise you, you're going to find out your beloved, and you're going to find out God's good. But in the midst of that, if you want people to help, ask yourself those questions. And the questions typically are, what am I thinking? More or less, I am nothing, or God is not good. Those are directly from Satan's mouth. They'll go straight into your head, and he will keep They're biting you with his venomous fangs on your heel in relation to those. His first temptation was, hey, eat of the free tree of knowledge of good and evil. Why is that a bad thing? Good question. I'm going to answer it. Because uh, people wanted to take, he, he said, don't, he said, doubt God. God is, doesn't have your best interests at heart. He wants you just to be like him. Don't trust him. See what the devil's doing? He's not really good. And then when Adam and Eve took of the forbidden fruit, they then had the ability themselves, in their own distorted view, to determine what is good and what is evil. One of the very first reactions is, I am, I am naked, I am ashamed, and I'm, I can't go near to God. And the devil's tactics are exactly the same. If we are thinking God is not good, or we're imagining ourselves not as that perfect person with our full identity in Christ, then there's a spiritual attack happening. What do I want? I really need people to tell me it's going to be okay. 
What do I need? I need someone just to text me. And then you can say to someone, hey, can you check up on me? I am going through the darkest dark at the moment. And with God's grace, without religion in this church, with relationship in this church, we don't need to be hiding behind anything. Our job is to love one another. It's never to judge, it's to love. Simple as that. That's why throughout James it says, don't judge, don't judge, don't judge. If you do judge, there's a bigger judge. But we know our job is to just love people. Love people into the presence of God. Help them draw near, even when we are near. When you're near to God, here's a clue. You'll have a much heightened, more heightened sense of compassion and a more heightened sense of mercy. Because those are two of God's very characteristics. And compassion and mercy, some of it's to ourselves, but a lot of it is to other people. And it's to make that difference. Does that make sense? Let's do a salute if it does. Oh, thank you. I got Americans to salute me. Hallelujah. God is powerful. Uh, Verse 12. As I was reading this, I thought, what has this got to do with anything? So it talks about uh, being patient in suffering. And being patient, sorry, be patient and stand firm together. Then it goes, above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear. Not the type you're thinking of. uh, Not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you'll be condemned. Uh, God, uh, James is often saying, if you are a follower of Christ, you'll have this new heart of flesh living within you. You'll be like him. You can't help but treat other, we can't help but want to be loving to other people. In the midst of this, there's always a warning of, hey, you might have a heart of stone. If you're all about religion, if you're all about judging people, if you're all about doing spiritual righteous gymnastics, if you want to run ahead of the pack, And think, why can't they keep up with me? He's saying, whoa, watch out. You probably don't even know the Lord. And there's a a kind and loving warning to that. But as I studied more and contemplated more, the enemy of community, just like grumbling is, the enemy of community, well, grumbling means blaming other people. First thing that happened when Adam was tempted, he blamed someone else. Doubted God's good, blamed someone else. First thing that happens when we go through persecution, we grumble and blame someone else. So it says, don't grumble. Second thing is, another way of reading this is, be trustworthy. Be trustworthy. If you're going to reach out to help someone, yes, it's polite to say, call me whenever you need help. But for God's sake, don't say it if you don't mean it. I love the American culture. This is our home as a family. What I would love to move from the American culture is the politeness of offering help but not meaning it. I figured this out when I first came. People said, how are you? I tell them, they're like, what has he just said? Why is he responding this way? We bring God's kingdom about when we say, how are you, and we mean it. We bring God's kingdom about when we let our yes be yes and our no be no. If you need help, call. Don't then just not answer the phone. Don't then not check up on people. So be trustworthy, because we are representing God, who is fully trustworthy to the person who is far from him. As we are together, the thing that unites us is that we are in Christ. 
Christ perfectly was patient. Christ perfectly persevered. At any point he could have got down from the cross. At any point he could have smited, if that's a word, smoted. He could have just blown things up, but he did not. Even when they were casting lots over his clothes, even when one of the both thieves were mocking him, and then one says, oh, remember me. He perfectly controlled his tongue. His was a living faith, a perfect representation. And we are able to be Christ followers because we are all in him, and him as Holy Spirit lives within us. If we think about revival in this church, sometimes people think, oh, it's, it's numbers, it's going to be lots of numbers, lots of people are coming. That, that's nonsense. Revival in a church, look at the person next to you, please know them or it's going to be really awkward. Or look at me. They have a name. They are in a certain place in their relationship with God. And God wants them to move along a little bit. God wants them to be encouraged that they are not the scum that's coming to the top, which the devil constantly tells them that they are. They want to be encouraged that they are in Christ, that God is faithful, God is merciful, God is compassionate. You see each of those people next to you, love them into that situation. That's where revival happens. It's not about numbers, it's not about shouting about God, it's not about whipping up emotion, it's about loving people who are next to you, your brothers and sisters in Christ. Christ did that with his disciples. This is what Christ prayed for his disciples. I'm going to ask the band to come back up on stage. This is from John 17. Jesus is just about to be arrested, but he prays for his disciples. And then he prays for all believers, as in you and me. And it follows the exact theme of James. Like They're going to be persecuted because they are in the world, but not of the world. They are with me. And because they're with me, just like the prophets before them, they're going to receive persecution. And then he starts saying to his father, like, sanctify them. Help them move along. So here's what Jesus would, is probably praying right now on behalf of you as he's at the right-hand side of God. Jesus says these words, I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. That was for his disciples. This is for his uh, all believers. Listen to the themes of togetherness and unity. My prayer is not for them alone, as in his disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Say that again, that all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so the world may believe that you have sent me. 
we move into James, uh, closing out James next week, we're going to see exactly what living in community looks like. I'm going to show you how it works for us in community, and I'm going to show you how it works for non-believers as well. But even if you look at it with raw examples from nature, it perfectly matches this divine wisdom of being together. Now, as we prayed behind uh, the service today, we start at 9 o'clock, go through to typically quarter to 10. We'll pray for God to speak to us. We'll pray for God to speak to us, and we'll get a sense, and we'll judge it by different people. It has to be in line with Scripture, but what do you think about this? Shall we say this? What happens is God has a word for someone, and that word will get them right to their hearts, not like a sword swung by a clumsy pastor, but like a surgical needle done by God to the heart, a little precise thing. And we felt him saying a couple of things that I would like to share with you. Maybe you're in a dark place and you're thinking, my heart is black. Maybe you're in a dark situation, you're thinking, my life is so dark I can't get out of here. I hope that we've heard right and these make you feel that God is alive and well. Make you ask for help. We would love to help you. One of you would be someone who just is just walking around with like a thundercloud all over your head. You're walking along. It's almost like you can't even be seen because your whole face, the whole image of God in you, is just dominated by this thundercloud. God wants to remove that and He will. Second thing, as we Get into the presence of God and worship. When you're in the presence of God, you can't help but be made whole. When you get in the presence of God, you can't help but become more holy. When we get in the presence of God, we can't help but become more merciful and compassionate. When we get in the presence of God, in the fullness of time, all sickness and pain and sin and death will be gone forevermore. And from time to time, God in his compassion and mercy heals off of the very things that ail us. Now we still die, but he's also taking care of that on the cross. But he would like to show you a bit of that resurrection within your body. I'm going to ask you to stand as we get ready to worship. Now if this describes you, please come forward for prayer. No one is going to be judging you. We want to love you. Sciatica nerve. Arthritis gastrointestinal issues. Now, whatever you have, you can come to God and receive prayer. But if those are specific things, we would love to give God the opportunity to heal you. Now, when God heals, some people say, yeah, that was just a coincidence. Here's the deal. When we pray for one another, when we get into the presence of God, guess what? Coincidences happen all the time. Friends, I'd love to pray for you as we get ready to sing. Father God, help us draw near to your presence. Help us to be patient and stand firm together. We are one with you. Help us to understand the fullness of what that means. Help us to draw people near to you that feel far. Help us to be compassionate and merciful to them. And if we're in a difficult place, help us to ask for help. God, you are all powerful, but you are also gentle and tender. We pray that you'll draw near to us today. In Jesus' name, amen.